Well, good morning. <clears throat> so uh, before I go too far, uh, this last weekend I wasn't here. Uh, most of the youth weren't here. We were away at a retreat, the Reset Retreat 2020. Uh, it was awesome. We had a great time. Uh, as you can see, there's, uh, we had about 100 students that attended from five different churches, uh, all affiliated kind of with the Alliance family. And so it was really awesome to get them all together. Uh, you know, I, I really am thankful for the leaders who came. Uh, I took Monday kind of, and I just slept the whole day. I know, like, Rocco, you went to work, and, like, bless your soul. You know, I appreciate that, and Jen, and, and some of you others. Jonathan, I know I really appreciate the way you guys come alongside our youth. I really appreciate you, church, and the way in which you come alongside our youth and, and young adults and the way that you pray for them and care for them. I had met several people come to me and, and ask, how can they help, uh, and, and actually gave offerings directly for uh, young people to be able to go, and so thank you for that. Uh, truly, it was a blessed time. Uh, it was really awesome to, to, to join together in worship, uh, especially with young people. Um, and so, is that, you got, you got the next slide for me? Nope. Okay, there. So there's uh, some worshiping. There's our guys at the back, okay? Very cool. They were very cool the whole weekend, I just like to say. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, one of the things that we did this weekend was something they, um, we set aside these case studies, and, and they were all like the really easy subjects, you know, things like abortion and atheism, you know, climate change, just the little stuff, you know, like uh, a little, little conversation. But what we did was we broke them up into groups and, and, and gave them scriptures and, and had them apply themselves and their understanding of these scriptures and work through these issues from a biblical standpoint. And, and the idea was, you know, like our phones, they have apps on them. So what's the gospel app? You know, if you come to a situation, I don't know about you, but if I have to, like, do math, I have a calculator app that I, um, uh, that I go to. But when you come into a situation in life, do you have a gospel app? And so the, the purpose of this, this, uh, this exercise was to give tools to be able to help our young people to apply the gospel and the truth that, that Jesus Christ has saved them and, uh, and, and calls them deeper. Oh, oh, I got deeper. Okay. <clears throat> ah, so uh, this morning... Um, Look, I, many of you may know, maybe you don't know, uh, I, I have this other gig that I'm kind of working on too. This, uh, it's, kind of like a, it's kind of like a church plan. I don't know. I don't know what to call it sometimes because it's an odd thing. Uh, but I, I, what, it, what it is, is this, this hope and desire to disciple and to disciple people outside of the church. Okay? And so this is actually something that like, uh, this topic is something that's very close to my heart and, and, and I, I get impassioned about it. Um, and so I want to share a little bit about it with you this morning and, and maybe some of the struggles I have with it as I participate in the church, in the body of Christ. So the, the, the title of today's message is Defragging the Gospel. And if anyone has a computer, you, you, maybe you know what defragging is. But uh, when you hear about evangelism, when you think about evangelism, what are your thoughts? Okay, go to the next one. Any list feel like you have a plan? Like, like I don't know about you. I, any list makers in here today? Yeah, I'm not a list maker, okay? I'm married to a list maker. And she's fantastic. All right, but I am not a list maker. I ruin lists. I, uh, yeah, but, but I understand. Well, I sort of understand list makers. But I, I, I have learned how to live and function with this. And the plan is everything. And if there's anything that undoes the plan, well then, 
well, then we need a new plan. Whereas I, and maybe some of you might identify like this, uh, plan? <laughs> Who needs it? See, but God has a plan. God has a plan. And even, I don't know, I noticed something in worship songs that they often have this kind of like I-me kind of God relationship, and I can appreciate and understand why that, that is, but, but I think we oftentimes, we, we put more emphasis on the I-God I, I relationship and forget that it's, it's God-us, we-God, we-worship-you. And I know that I approach it and I come to it at, on an individual level, but, 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 but we're one and we're supposed to think of ourselves as one. And see, and so like oftentimes I think when we start to think about evangelism and, and difficult tasks that God puts before us, I, like, I may not plan, but I strategize. I, I want to have an idea about how I'm going to go about this. And, and, and the fact of the matter is that, that God actually has a plan. And he's been revealing it to us through his word, to his people, since he's been connected with his people. I just want to read a few scriptures for you. Okay. Genesis, um, chapter 3. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Speaking about Jesus. The Lord said to Abraham, go to your country, your kindred, and your father's house to this land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I'm going to make my covenant with you, and you will bring this to all the families, and all the families through you will be blessed. He reasserts this promise to Abraham in, in chapter 20 of Genesis, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. In Romans it says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This morning... I didn't pay John anything, but he read the, like an amazing scripture, that Psalm 86. What does it talk about? This idea, glorify your name. Come. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things, and you alone are God. Jesus gives a commission. What is the object of the commission? Go therefore, make disciples of the people you know, of your ethnicity. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Of all nations. See, because God has a plan, and we're a part of it. So what's your part in it? When you think about uh, uh, evangelism and discipleship, I found these awesome memes that I, that I feel like really kind of like, communicate some things. Did I jump? Okay. 
So I love this. When you bring your lost friend to church, okay, picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger there, large machine gun in his hand, okay, the, the, the casket, this is, your, this is your dead, unregenerate friend who doesn't know the life-giving person of Jesus Christ. This, huh? The church through all the adversaries. Does, does anyone feel like evangelism's like this, huh? But I got this question, and it's not quite clear here. Is that gun for coming out of the world or going into the church? Because, like, I don't know about you, but I think about inviting my friends to church, I'm just like, oh, maybe not. And not because I don't want them to know who Jesus is, but because when I think about the, 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 the navigation, I got to take them through so they understand what church is all about. Now, now when you come, it's going to be different. Okay, there's going to be these things, and, and hold on a second, what are you going to wear? Could, could, you, could you wear a long sleeve shirt or, 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 you know what, we don't swear very much in church, if at all, so please refrain. All the things that you might normally talk about, you know, like the thing you did last night, maybe don't talk about that with people. Okay, when we start talking and using these phrases, this is kind of what we actually mean. Go to the next one. I don't know about you, but like when I'm doing evangelism, when I'm doing discipleship, okay, maybe sometimes I don't feel like I'm being myself. Or maybe, maybe, and this is, I find this is more like me, actually. Uh, I feel like this in church. I feel like that I got to wear some sort of costume because like I, I got to look a certain way. I need my family to look a certain way because if they don't, well, then people are going to talk about that. And what's wrong with Pastor Ryan? What's going on in his home? Because, like, look at his kids. And, and don't get me wrong. I, like, I know I give people enough reasons to wonder about where I'm at. And, and, and my kids, they, they, they definitely are my kids. <laughs> and I love them so much. But when we think about discipleship and evangelism, see, Jesus gave this commission to us. Go make disciples of all nations. This is us, but like, how many of you have a disciple? And, and you know what? You know, when we do this, we, we oftentimes, we're just like, I know, I'm going to make a disciple. And we go and make a disciple of someone who's already following Jesus. And, and I get that. And we need to lift up our brothers and sisters and encourage them to do what? To go and make disciples of all nations. But I feel like we gotta go in like this. Like we got we got a church costume and then we got a world costume. And I know, I know maybe you struggle with that. And you're just like, I, I hate the, the the dichotomy of my life, and that I live in these two kinds of spaces. But but like God has called me to be one with Him. And so I wanted to talk about this idea of defragging the gospel. So I don't know if you're a tech guru, um, but if you are, you'll probably correct me. I'm okay with that. Just do it later. <laughs> when your computer gets slow, how do you deal with that? <laughs> okay? I can appreciate that. Uh, my wife, who I love dearly, okay, she has this weird relationship with technology where it doesn't work for her. 
She'll, she'll be doing something. I'll hear a, a, uh, uh, an exclamation of frustration. And I'll come, dear, what is wrong? Because that's how I talk to her. And she goes, this computer. And I'm like, well, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to do this. And I will, and I'll, you're trying to do this? And it, whatever she said, I will, I will do in that moment. She's like, yes, how did you do that? I just, I just did it. I just did it as well and it didn't work. One of the things that you need to do with your computer on a regular basis is clean it up because it gets messy. Okay, and it's this process called uh, defragment defragmentation, right? Defragmentation is like cleaning house for your PC. All you Apple users, that means personal computer. It picks up all the pieces of data that are spread across your hard drive and puts them back together again. Why is defragmentation important, you may ask? Because every computer suffers from the constant growth of fragmentation, and if you don't clean house, your PC suffers. Okay? I want to come back to that. Disk fragmentation occurs when a file is broken up into pieces to fit on the disk. Because files are constantly being written, deleted, and resized. Fragmentation is a natural occurrence. When a file is spread out over several locations, it takes longer to read and write. But the effects of fragmentation are far more widespread. Slow PC performance, long boot times, random crashes, freeze-ups, even a complete inability to boot up at all. Many users blame these problems on the operating system or simply think their computer is old when hard disk fragmentation is often the most real culprit. Now, what if... We take that description and we remove computer and it, in its place put church. And rather than a disk, uh, like a file, that we talk about the gospel. See, because it's natural as we try to interact with this culture around us that, that we are trying to, to translate the gospel, to, to, to communicate it. And, and this, is, this is both a, a simple and difficult endeavor because it's hard to articulate at times because of the, the issues and, and difficulties of life that we face. There's this problem of evil and suffering. What does the gospel have to say about these things? That's a difficult conversation for a Christian to have. And, and we need to be changing how we go about doing this because the world around us is changing. And so we try different things. In church, we have all kinds of different methods that we, we, we try and, and, and promote and, and communicate the gospel. And in reality, our very lives and our very community itself is a testimony of that gospel. But see, what happens is we get, we get fragmented. Because we think, well, I'm going to do it this way. Or I'm going to do it this way, and, and, and well, I'm part of the children's ministry, and I'm doing this part of it, and I'm part of the, the hosting ministry, and I've got this part of it. And we get to this place where the gospel, it's like, it's like the book that's, that all the pages are in different rooms in a house. And the amount of time it takes to read the book is greatly increased because you've got to go to each room to find the right pages in the order. And so every once in a while, what we need to do is to take some time and just put all those pages back together. And that in each and every room, we have access to this, to this gospel. See, uh, the, the passage I want to share with you today is found in Mark, um, Mark chapter 11, verses 15 to 18. It's kind of, uh, 
It's kind of an interesting passage because you see a picture of Jesus here that, uh, that you don't necessarily think about on a regular basis, right? Because this is the angry Jesus. It says, and they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And though he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple, he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Now look at this passage, and... and, and, and Immediately, I start to, I make connections. I like to see things and try and understand. And as you make connections and find coherency amongst ideas, you gain instability of your worldview and your understanding. And I look in this first verse here and I see three kind of categories. Okay? There's the people who bought, there was the people who sold, and there were the money changers. See, all the Jews, okay, needed to visit the temple at least once a year to offer sacrifices to God for their sins. And being that those sins were, were uh, specifically adjudicated, were specifically uh, required a certain sacrifice, okay, you had to have access to those sacrifices. Now, if you lived not in Jerusalem and you had to travel, okay, it, it's way easier to bring money and to buy whatever you needed for those sacrifices in Jerusalem than it would be to, to carry it the whole way. So naturally, there rises up a group of people who are trying to fill that need, a real need. They would sell them the necessary requirements for their sacrifices, and they did so at the most convenient spot. You don't got to come and look through the, the markets and bazaars of, of Jerusalem. We'll bring the lambs and the pigeons and the bulls and rams right to you. The grain and the wine offerings, we'll have it all right there for you. Just bring your money, okay? We'll give you a good price, a fair price, and then you can go and sacrifice to God. And then lastly, there was the money changers. And they weren't necessarily there on behalf of the people in some senses, they were because they wanted to make sure that people had access to the money that was required for the, the tithe. That all the tributes needed to be paid in a Tyrian uh, uh, shekel. And, and this was to maintain the weight and the purity of the money that was actually uh, given to the temple. So because in those days, temples actually functioned a lot like banks. And each city had a large temple that, that did the majority of the banking and in Jerusalem, it was the temple of God. The animal and money-changing business was a great source of income in Jerusalem. At the Passover, there's a, there's a historian, uh, Josephus Flavius, you say? Yeah, Josephus Flavius, okay? He wrote a history of the Jews of this time. He said in AD 66, at the Passover... 255,600 lambs were sold. Okay? I don't know what that is in the rate of going shekels, but I'm sure that's at least a million families. 
or, or a quarter million families, sorry. This is a big business. This is going to take up a lot of space in the temple. In church, in, in modern day, we kind of, uh, we've, we've changed the name of some of these people, and, and we use them to describe uh, attitudes and, 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 and postures in church. We talk about the consumer, the producer, and an investor. And, and a couple of those are actually my own invention, but uh, the book's coming out much later. So the consumer, we talk about this, of how, how Christianity and, and religion has become so consumeristic, Right? If you're a consumer, you're probably looking at this sermon saying, you know what, it's not, it's not entertaining enough. It's not spiritual enough. You know, it might be okay, but I'm kind of wondering about the programs here. Do they fit my needs? Or, or maybe worse, maybe you think, yeah, this is entertaining enough. This is spiritual enough. Or these programs do fit all of my needs. The producer, okay, if you're a producer... Maybe you're not really listening right now. Because like in your mind, you're thinking about, okay, like I, I know where I put the cups. I got I to gotta get the table out in time. Uh, people are going to be right out of the door, so I got to like hustle. And I know who's sitting at the back. I got to dodge them because they always say hello and they never stop talking. <laughs> or you're thinking about the last meeting that you had. You know, you're thinking about the stuff that was being talked about and how like no one really seemed to listen to what you had to say. Or, or maybe you're thinking about the next meeting and you're thinking about, okay, like I, I, how do I frame this email so that I avoid these situations that have come up so that we can just focus on the issue at hand. Amen. Or maybe you're the investor and you are more committed to seeing the church continue as it is or as you see it to be than anything else. Because there's this problem I think that we get is that when we feel like we understand what we're supposed to do, we go after it with like blinders and we don't stop and think and we don't stop and question. There's this, uh, there's this false statement that, that uh, gets bandied around. Practice makes perfect. That's not true because you can practice a bad thing and get really good at it and hurt yourself and it doesn't lead you to perfection. Anyone that lifts know this. You, you, you do it in front of a mirror, not because you're vain, although you might be a little bit, but you lift in front of a mirror because you want to make sure that your form is right. Because if you don't, you will get to a place where you hurt yourself. Practice with review makes perfect. I like, I like this, um, uh, this description of defragmentation, but what if we use it with the church? Because the gospel is constantly being written and deleted and resized, and I mean that in a sense of like, being contemporized and, and communicated to an ongoing and changing world. It's a natural occurrence that this kind of fragmentation occurs. When the gospel spread out over several locations, it takes longer to read and write. The effects of fragmentation are more widespread. Slow church performance, long start times, random crashes and freeze-ups, even a complete inability to get a church up at all. Many users blame these problems on the operating system, what we're doing at church, who's doing it, or simply think that their church is old or not connected. When the fragmentation of the gospel is most often the real culprit. Look, I, uh, 
I'm not trying to start a church or plant a church or, or do these things because I think the church is broken, but because I recognize that there is a group of people who are not being reached with the gospel and that there seems to be an ineffectiveness, a slowness in the church to address that issue. And I feel that personally God has put it on my heart, not necessarily to try and work through the church to do something about that in a kind of conventional sense of, why don't you go be a pastor of a church that's already established and get them to do that. But that God, I feel like, is calling me and my family and those who, who, who God calls similarly to break new ground. And, and not to change the gospel, but to bring it to places that, that it hasn't reached effectively yet. So, do you hear yourself in one of those three categories of the, the consumer, the producer, the investor? Because really, I see myself in all three, and all three of those in me. And I know in different situations, in different contexts, that I, part of one of those seems to come up more. But the reality is when that is the case, what it means is that I have elevated my consumerism, my productivity, and my investment above the plan of God. And Jesus shows up in the temple courts and he has a message for these people. Don't get comfortable. Don't be setting up shop So I'm coming for you. And he goes through and he wrecks up the place. And he's not just wrecking up the place in the sense of, of knocking over some tables and scattering animals, but he's actually coming at the very system of, of, of power and, and, and influence in the city of Jerusalem. That's why the leaders are so upset with him. Talking about discipleship, talking about evangelism, I gotta ask you a question. And this is a key question. And it's one that, that I think is, is, the, is the, the rocket fuel for all of this. Because Jesus, I, I get this idea, like I'm a, I'm a physical guy, I love football, okay? I, has the love of Christ tackled you? Anyone wants to know what that feels like, you can come here, I'll tackle you, okay? And I got some speed, I got a little bit of mass on me still. I may not be able to tackle you twice, but if I do it one time, hopefully that's enough. And that's nothing in comparison of what it's like to be tackled by the love of God. Amen. That, 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 that David, he cries out to the Lord, and when he says, you and you only have I sinned against, he begins that by saying, you are loving, you are kind. That the sin that he committed with Bathsheba was something that, that, that was so awful in the face of the fact that God is loving and good and gracious and, 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 and a father who wants to be with him. That that's knowing what kind of God that he had, he was arrested, he was tackled by the love that he had scorned through his actions. And see, when we actually are tackled by the love of God, that, that this idea of, of going out and sharing that with people becomes a non-issue because it, 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 it can't be contained. See, but then you look at verse 16 and it says, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And, and in this context, it kind of makes sense that, you know, if he saw someone, they're carrying their lamb that they just purchased, you know, they, they have no idea. They're, What's going on over there? And then Jesus tackles them. And why? And then he doesn't let them, and the, the lamb goes free. 
But I wonder, are you carrying something right now? And if you are, is it bringing you into closer relationship with Christ? And I want to suggest to you that, that whatever you're carrying is not. Are you carrying a burden of salvation? Maybe yours or someone else's? Are you carrying a burden of provision? That there are mouths that you need to feed and, and people you need to provide for, people you need to be strong for. Maybe you're carrying and burdened with worldly standards of what success looks like, of what relationship is supposed to look like, of what influence looks like. But is what you're carrying bringing you closer in relationship to God? As I think it's not in the carrying, but in the relinquishing that brings us into closer relationship. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and lean, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's not an invitation to do nothing. It's an invitation to let the power of God carry you as you are doing what he's leading you to do. That we would be so lucky that Jesus would prevent us from being able to carry anything that doesn't bring us closer to him. He goes on and says, and he was teaching them and saying, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. This comes out of Isaiah 56, 6. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Matthew 18, again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. One of the things I think that Jesus was so upset about in this scene that he just loses it on all these vendors See, the, the way that the court was set up, the way that the, the temple was set up is there's the, there's the main temple and only the priests get to go into there. And in the temple is the Holy of Holies and only the, the chief priest once a year can go into that. And outside of that is, is the, the court of women and that's where the Jews and, and women could go. And outside of that was the court of the Gentiles. And that was the only space that the nations could come to. And I think Jesus is so upset and so frustrated because the, 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 the business was taking up all of the space that was supposed to be delegated for the nations to come and hear about what God is doing. And, and when I look at church, I think that we kind of get like that. That we get so focused and, and burdened with doing the work of God that we actually miss out on being able to make space for the people we're doing it for. In Ephesians, there's this beautiful description that Paul gives of, 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 of being, um, being made one. Ephesians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. He says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision 
by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There's some commentators that suggest that Paul is actually referring to the wall between the court of women and the court of Gentiles. That Jesus broke down that wall and that all come to the presence of God. He gives this challenge. He says, you've made it a den of robbers. I am not here to say that the church is bad, awful, or wrong. But I I would like to ask the question, are we doing it God's way? Because it may be the case that we think we're doing it God's way because that's the way we've done it before. But it might be that God is doing something different because he's trying to reach different people. And, and, And that doesn't necessarily mean that we stop doing what we're doing. But I think what it means is that we surrender what we're doing to what God's doing. And the chief priests and the scribes heard and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. This this message that Jesus is saying that your idea of church can't supersede my idea of church, I think is a hard one for us. I actually have this kind of belief that um, uh, uh, the person who grew up in the church that they are working in right now or, or, or serving in right now, they often have a, a diminished understanding and grasp of the gospel because they haven't had to give up that safety of their place for God yet. And, and, and that's, not a, that's not a hard and fast rule. I, I think it's a tendency, but, but there's, there's some truth to that. And, and in, in me, am I serving God out of the goodness of my heart and, and, and lifting up his plan, or am I doing the best that I think I can do? Because, I, and we do this so simply and easily. I even want to do it for you, God. I just, I just want to be the one who does it. And he finishes, and it, it finishes in verse 19 and says, when evening came, they went out of the city. Now, I, I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but but night is coming. In Matthew, uh, Matthew 24, verse 9 to 14, it says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray because lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations. And then the, then the end will come. There was a time when the alliance was founded on the belief that if we take the gospel to the ends of the earth, Jesus will then come. It will hasten his return. I, I'm, I'm not one who necessarily prescribes to that line of thinking, but it definitely seems to suggest here that, that once the gospel reaches all of the world, that then the conditions are set for Jesus' return. You know, out of the, what is it, 16,600 different distinct culture groups, 
Only half of them have a viable gospel option in their language and culture. There's a great site called the Joshua Project that keeps track of these things. The work is not finished. And we are so, so blessed to be in Montreal. A place where the world comes. We don't got to go anywhere. It's, it's our neighbors. It's our coworkers. <laughs> it's our family members. The other thing that this, uh, this really reminds me of, and, and it's, a, it's a difficult passage, that, that parable of the ten virgins. Are you prepared to go the distance? And, and oftentimes, I don't know if you're, uh, uh, what, are, what are those people, like they, 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 they have like the, the bunker in their backyard and they fill it with all the stuff. And just in case, you know, the zombie apocalypse comes. I can't, I can't remember what, there's a word for these people. They're, what's that? So, anyways, survivalists, yeah, that is, okay. <laughs> but as a church, as a church, are we prepared to go the distance, to go through the whole night until the bridegroom comes? And this is not an individualistic task. I don't need to have it all together because I'm in a community that has it all. I'm in a community that has it all, and, and, and I'm sorry, but that means I, I need to lean on you. But it means you can lean on me as we together lean on Christ who lifts it all up. I, just, I love this picture. Um, lighthouses are fantastic, but you know that, that structure of the lighthouse, you know, that's a church, and, 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 and in it is the light of Christ. And you see in the distance, in this, in this, the golden hour of photography, right around the time of sunset or, or, or sunrise, we see there's that cruise ship. And what a great picture of the world. They're off adrift on sea, just enjoying themselves, not realizing that they're all alone. And as a church, we have an opportunity to use the light to guide them in to home. And so... What is the gospel? What's your part in it? How are we as a church doing that and going to those places? Next week, we have this awesome opportunity that oftentimes it kind of feels like this chore and this like burden. It's called the general meeting. That's a great opportunity for us to ask, how are we taking the gospel into this world that so desperately needs it? Is everything that we're doing synchronized and effective? Are we building one another up or are we fighting against one another? Because if we're not building one another up and doing what God wants, then we're working against him. I, I, I don't want you to be challenged and convicted in the sense that, 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 um, that you're gonna try harder. Today, this week, those people, they're in your lives. Show them the light. And maybe that means bringing them here and, and maybe that means that, that uh, here is gonna get weird. And, and you know what? I think God's okay with that. But we have something that they desperately need and we can't keep it to ourselves. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for uh, your word. God, I thank you for your plan and that you empower all of us to fulfill it. And there is nothing that can impede your sovereignty. 
There's nothing that we can do to stop you from accomplishing your will. But Lord, let us not miss out on what you are doing. Let us be the ones uh, who you use because we are willing and we love you. So God, we come before you and we ask, would you help us to put down the things that we're carrying that we might pick up your cross and follow you? I pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.